appreciate that. I'd like to read just a couple verses out of Acts chapter 1, 1 through 3. This is written by a historian. He's a doctor. And if there's anyone who wanted to make sure he got the facts right, it would have been this man. Here's what he wrote. The first account I composed about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we just ask one thing this morning that we could see you more clearly, to hear you more clearly. And Lord, we know that that would make all the difference. No matter where we are in our journey, in our story, might we hear you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I was listening, or reading, I should say, about a debate between a Christian and a skeptic. Very intriguing article. In the article, it, it, it kind of tried to convey the essence of the debate, but it also let me in on the fact that there was a panel of ten judges who were evaluating this debate. That's unique. And the conclusion, overwhelming, except one undecided, was that the Christian presented his case for the resurrection and that the skeptic had no answer. He had nothing. As a matter of fact, one of the judges even said, I'm now inclined to believe that this is true. You see, the historical evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming. There are a couple things Luke says is there is convincing proofs that he was alive. He says later in Acts the same thing, Acts 17, 31. There are many witnesses, they gave convincing proofs that Jesus was alive. Dr. Luke, who lived in the time of Jesus, he had personally talked to many of these eyewitnesses. He tells us there were many demonstrable proofs. Not just one or two, but many. And from the beginning, there have been those who've rejected the resurrection. But you all almost always find, in those cases, prejudice, bias, and certainly just flat-out unbelief. There are at least 12 arguments in favor of the historicity of the resurrection. One is the disciples' eyewitness experience where they saw and touched the resurrected Christ. The early proclamation of the resurrection, not from a couple guys who were disillusioned, over 500, some say over 1,000 people who saw a man who was dead three days later alive. That's a lot of people. The transformation from fear to martyrdom. You see, there were men who were afraid. They cowered at the crucifixion. They cowered over fear of being persecuted because of their association with this man named Jesus. And all of a sudden, where did this bravery come from? 
Where did this courage that even led to martyrdom? Of course, there's the evidence of the empty tomb. I mean, the Roman soldiers try to spin a lie on it because there was nobody there anymore. The empty tomb stands as evidence. They proclaimed the resurrection in Jerusalem itself, where it was probably most dangerous. You see, when you're proclaiming a king, you risk something. When you proclaim a risen king, man, you better watch your back. No one was able to produce the body. The existence of the church today is evidence of the resurrection. Around the world, people who love Jesus and believe what we just sang about are worshiping him. How do you explain that? But the resurrection. The change of the day in worship to Sunday. Why did that happen? Because of the resurrection. The conversion of James, the brother of Jesus, who saw this perfect life, still didn't believe. What was it that changed his mind? He actually wound up penning a book in the New Testament. What changed James' mind? The resurrection. How about a guy named Saul who couldn't wait to kill Christians? He had his troops, his gang, so to speak, and he sent them house to house, dragging out Christians to beat them and flog them. All of a sudden, this guy, this same guy, all of a sudden becomes the greatest preacher, potentially ever, of the crucified and risen king. What, what happened? It was the resurrection. Why would Jesus claim he was going to rise bodily? Listen to this when he could have claimed he was going to raise spiritually. I mean, why claim bodily resurrection? I mean, what if you're wrong? If you claim spiritually, at least you can say, well, his followers could say, well, see, you just can't see him. But no, he took, he took it a little further and said, no, I'm going to bodily raise from the dead. You see, the resurrection places Jesus Christ in a class all by himself. It makes him unique. Other religions can say, hey, we have a founder. We, we, we have a holy book. We have religious days. We even have a building we can worship in. And Christians say, all that may be true. All that may be true of what you're saying. But Christians say, our founder, our founder rose from the dead. That's what we proclaim. That's what we sing. End of conversation. We drop the mic. Our founder rose from the dead. Philip Yancey, he says, in many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims. I can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be on the loose out there somewhere. That's a good point. What, what's, what's Yancey trying to say? Because he conquered death, he's in a category all by himself, and it requires you and I now listening to what he has to say, to, sh- to changing our shift in our mindset. You say, okay, maybe I'll buy that. Historical evidence of the resurrection. So, so what? What's the significance of it? Romans 1, 1 through 4 says, 
Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through who promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified to God that he raised up Christ, whom he, has not ris- who is, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men, the most pitiful. What's Paul saying? Without the resurrection, I shouldn't even be talking this morning because it's useless. Without the resurrection, your faith is useless. useless. We are false witnesses. Without the resurrection, no dead will ever be raised. Without the resurrection, we're all still in our sins. Without the resurrection, all who have trusted Christ are lost. Without the resurrection, we are to be pitied more than all men. And without the resurrection, you and I have no power, no new life. We're just confined to this old life. But biblical Christianity is based exclusively on the resurrection. Because you don't have a living faith in a dead Savior. But the resurrection of Christ means there is hope beyond death. That transformation not only is possible, but it's offered. And it's evidence. As you and I read through the, the Gospels and the book of Acts, what do we find? We find Peter, John, Stephen, Paul, Philip, Luke, Mark, Matthew, James, Thomas, all men who, when we look at them, lives were marked by failure, defeat, doubt, fear. Something happened. They encountered the resurrected Christ. Their lives were no longer the same, and their message was one, Jesus Christ. That was their message, all of them. If you were to meet him on the street and say, hey, Thomas, how are you doing today? What do you got to say? He'd say, I got nothing for you, but Jesus died and risen from the dead. He's my message. He's my Lord. That was their message. All of them. That became their message. Because he died and rose again, just like he promised, he paid the price of sin, he defeated death, Satan, the demonic realm, and he made it possible to live a new and overcoming life. The question on the table then is, okay, it's historically true. Okay, I get it, it's significant, but what does it mean to me in my life? Let's, let me maybe start by saying this. If he's risen from the dead and it's true, and it is, then so is his crucifixion. Uh-oh. All you might know is, I know he died for sin. That means i got to stop and think about something. What about my sin? It's a good question. It's an important question. I had to ask it at the age of 19. If you could describe my life, be one word, lost. And not just a little lost. <laughs> I was completely lost. 
until I stopped and had to come face to face with the crucified and risen Lord. And that I couldn't ignore. And it was that Lord I fell in love with as I studied his life. Maybe you're familiar with the bridge illustration. We're going to put it on the screen behind me. It's been helpful to many over the years. And as you look at it, and if you're familiar with it, and might not have to look too long, but you'll notice mankind on one side and God on the other. And, and uh, as we think about mankind being on one side, we would have to admit we're sinful. We'd also have to admit there's this like magnetic pull to pride. There's a magnetic pull towards self and selfishness. There's this pull, a strong one, to control our life. After all, no one else is going to tell me how to live my life. There's a strong pull and a capacity to darkness. I can't imagine how, or can't explain how many people I've talked to. It says, Matt, I got no idea how I wound up here. I never in a million years meant to be at this place. I never meant to cheat on my wife. I never meant to leave my children. I never meant to get pregnant before marriage. I never meant, I don't know how I got here. What they were saying, and we would have to be honest, there's a capacity in us to go our own way and to make a mess of our life, if I may. You see, there's a chasm that needs to be crossed because God is so utterly holy, transcendent, perfect, righteous, so other from us. This chasm is immense. So immense, if you're honest, you say, as I look at my life right here, right now, I have no clue how I could ever have a relationship with the living, holy, perfect God. Beyond my comprehension how that could ever happen. The chasm is so wide. Or you might be here saying, yeah, it's wide, but you know what, if I go, if I do some things, just enough right things, good things, maybe I can bridge that thing. Maybe I can pull it off. All religions think that, you know. All religions will start on man's side and seek to build a bridge to God. But biblical Christianity says, oh no. God built the bridge and he started from his side. Check out all the religions. Go ahead. All the religions have a bridge and all of mankind wants to build a bridge. And you know what it's called? Do. That's the name on their bridge. Do. If I do enough, if I can act a certain way, if my behavior will kind of match up, if I can do this or that, then maybe I can displease, or I can, I can somehow please a deity out there who maybe I've displeased. So let me ask you, what's your bridge building plan? As you look at that chasm, what's your plan to bridge it? Is your bridge marked by do? Carter shared, he grew up in a Christian home. I mean, wasn't that enough? Mom and dad loved Jesus. Got a wonderful brothers and sisters. I mean, weren't, they, weren't that enough? I mean, why not just associate, hang on to them, and at the end of the life say, hey, I'm here. After all, I didn't murder anybody. <laughs> I was a pretty good kid. I did, I did, I did. What's your bridge building plan to get to God? 
You see, to bridge the chasm and the separation between sinful man and a holy God, God provided a bridge. That bridge is Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. That's our bridge. That's God's building plan. Every person in here needs to make a decision whose building plan are you going to exercise faith in. Yours, man's, or God's? All other religions of the world are on one side. They're saying do. Is that your choice? Or are you going to choose God's bridge? And by the way, God's bridge has a different name on it. It's not do. It's done. The work's done. It's finished. That death he died was a perfect death. That sin he carried, he carried all of it. He paid for all of it. The wages of sin, that death, hell, he paid it in full. So much so, that was his language on the cross. It is finished. So let me ask you, what's your bridge building plan this morning? Is it due? Or have you trusted in God's bridge building plan that says, done? What's your plan? There was a conversation between two men. One was a believer. One was not. He was a very successful businessman. Very successful. And this believer had tried oftentimes to, to share his faith with this man. And this man listened. But inevitably he kept coming back. He said, listen, you don't understand. In my life I've earned everything. Everything I have I've worked hard for. I've earned it. And this heaven you're talking about, I'll earn that too. The man was getting frustrated, and he finally, he tried it once more. He said, listen, listen, Bill, I know you've had a successful life. I get it. I know you've worked hard. I get it. But I just got to shoot you straight. You're separated from God, and you're dead. And only Jesus can make you alive. And he shared about Christ's death and his resurrection for his sin and conquering death and said, Bill, that's your only hope. And Bill looked at him and said, if that's true, that's a game changer. It is, isn't it? If that's true, that Christ died and rose from the dead, that's a game changer. And God declares, I have a different bridge-building plan. It's called done. I was the perfect sacrifice. I spilled my blood for people I love. And my death and my resurrection is a sure bridge. It will never fail, and the work is done. There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can subtract to it. His work and dying and rising from the dead built a bridge, and it's a game changer. In 2017, right here, right now, whose bridge-building plan are you working on? Are you trusting in? And don't, don't deceive yourself. You're either one or the other. If you think, you know, I'm kind of in the middle, I'm kind of leaning that way, you, you haven't trusted in it. You haven't trusted in his bridge-building plan. Because if you've ever switched from the do plan to the done plan, you'd know it. Why? Because it's a game changer. 
And here's what Christians, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm sure done it, you're like, okay, I switched plans. I, I know I'm forgiven, right? You're a Christian, I, you, and if I were to say, what does it mean if you're a Christian, a lot of you would say, I'm forgiven. A lot of you would say, I'm going to heaven. But there's something we forget about God's bridge-building plan when we come cross his bridge in Christ, it's this, you have a new life. It's not the same. And if you've crossed his bridge in Christ, your life isn't the same. You have a new passion. You've surrendered. You have new desires. You have a new focus. There's a power at work within you by the Holy Spirit you didn't have before. I'll let scripture describe it. Listen to a couple passages Romans 6, 4 through 5, For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Romans 8, 11 through 12, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you, Christian. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You understand what that's saying? When you were on the other side, doing it your way, on the do side, your only obligation was to the flesh. You had no power in your life. That's why you were utterly frustrated. That's why the do, the do bridge doesn't cover it. There's no freedom. There's no hope in that. Because after all, how much is enough? How good is good enough? There's no freedom. There's no peace. There's no power. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. Be, behold, new life has begun. Think of the implications of that. If you're sitting here, you said, I know I trusted Jesus Christ. I know I came to a place where I crossed that bridge called done. And I trusted in Jesus Christ's perfect life. But you find yourself here this morning, Easter 2017, and you say, my life is nothing like it should be. I feel very defeated. I feel very lonely. I haven't made a very good decisions lately. I've misdirected my passions. I've begun to slowly, in increments, give way so that my life now really makes, is, looks nothing different than the culture around me. If you were to indict me for Christ-like living, I'd be in trouble. What's, what's happened? You know how you came to Christ by faith? That's how you walk in this new life by faith. Just like you say to your dad, Dad, could you carry me from here to there? And by faith, you trust him to do that. By faith, you, ask to, you come to Christ day in and day out and say, I'm incapable of living this life today. But by your power, would you carry me to th today? Would you live out this new life through me? We forgot that part of it. We forgot there's a new life. We forgot there's a new power. 
That's what we're worth. That's what we're singing. We're worshiping a God who says, you know what? Not only is my power enough to save you, my power is enough to carry you through this life for all of eternity. Would you trust it? That's why our lives aren't different. Because we haven't trusted that power that's at work within us. That's what baptism symbolizes. I've baptized well over 100 people and had such a great privilege. And there's not one time that I haven't just grown in appreciation and, 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 and gratitude for a new life God's given us. My children, the majority of my children, my special niece here today, I've had that privilege of baptizing. If you're a follower in Jesus Christ, that is a decision you should be making if you haven't already. So you can identify with this new life. This new life's an overcoming life. It's a life of freedom. It's a life of purpose. It's a life that's glorious and new experiences with God. And what is greatest in this new life is a deepening connection with the living God. Deepening connection with the living God. And I know you might sit here thinking, I am lonely. I am defeated. I'm hurting. I have a new word for you to leave here with. You're loved. You're loved deeply and passionately and completely. You're loved by a God who says, I'm going to walk through this life with you. I don't want you to hurt. I don't want you to feel lonely. I don't want you to live a defeated Life where, you, where decision by decision you ruin it and walk away from God. That's not my desire for you. And he loves you. He wants you to know that. Two questions to close with. I have to ask it. What's your bridge building plan? Have you been trying to cross this chasm on the dew bridge? I love you enough to tell you the truth. If that's your choice, to try the do bridge, I'm going to tell you where it's going to wind up. Hell. That's where that bridge goes. And you need to know that. There's only one bridge that will get you in a relationship with the living God. It's the one he built. It's called done. It's finished. Paid in full. When we trust what he's done, guess what? We're before God. This is amazing, and I know it's mind-boggling. We're before God pure, righteous, holy, because his blood has washed away our sin. It's the precious blood of Jesus that's made forgiveness and cleansing possible. So what's your bridge-building plan? The second question is for those who have crossed the Dunbridge. You've trusted Christ. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you walking in this new life? Or are you wallowing in the cultural norm? Where are you at? Only this resurrection power is going to help you and I to live a life of freedom, of hope, of peace, of direction, of purpose. It's a very personal moment, and there's nothing, no matter what you got for dinner, even if it's potatoes, no matter what you have, going on is not more important than this moment. So don't, don't mentally check out yet. 
Have you trusted in Jesus as Savior, God's bridge? If you're sitting here saying yes, my next question is when? Don't let yourself off the hook. When did you do that? You say, I don't know the exact day. That's fine. Maybe you know the approximate time, like Carter. Knew how old he was. You see a decision that monumental. <laughs> you need to have an idea when you made it. And I don't mean just pray to prayer. That can be deceitful. That didn't mean you surrendered and didn't mean you crossed a bridge. It just means you prayed a prayer. But did you believe when you prayed that prayer? When did you cross that bridge? When? Think about that for a moment. When did you do it? And again, you might not know the exact date or time. Some of you are going to be able to say it was Easter 2017 when I crossed that bridge. There's some of you here today, you're going to make that decision. I know it and I'm excited about that. You're going to be able to look back and say, you know what, I, I quit the do bridge because I knew where it was going and on Easter 2017, in the midst of a, a lot of people, I crossed the Dunbridge bridge and came into relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody here should have got a card. It says done on it. Hopefully you have one. Hopefully you got one. We have good ushers, so I'm sure they pulled it off. It says done. This is what I'm asking you to do. On the back, it says, I've trusted in what Christ has done. In bridging the separation between myself and the living God, I crossed God's bridge on. And you're going to need to share pens. If you've crossed his bridge, I want you to write when you did it. Everybody. It could have been 60 years ago, and you're like, you know what, it's about sometime around the age of 12 or 15. Write it down. Everybody, if you're a Christian, find a pen and write it down. Go ahead. I'm going to give you a minute to do that. This is important. When did you cross that bridge? And if you're here this morning, you're like, I want to do that right now. I want to pray with you while everyone else is writing down theirs. But look at me if you haven't trusted Christ and you're like, I want to do that right now. This is going to be, make this your prayer. I'm just going to lead it. I hope and I trust this is the expression of your heart. But you're praying this to God. There's no one else in the room right now but God. If this is what your desire is right now, why don't you bow and say these words in your heart. Dear Jesus, I thank you for coming, dying, and rising from the dead. I, this minute, trust in your perfect work on the cross and paying for my sin and paying its penalty and giving me new life. I trust you as my Savior and Lord. This morning I've crossed the Dunbridge. And I claim your promise that if I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, this morning I proclaim that promise. I'm saved. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if that was you, you write down right now, Easter 2017, on that card. Okay, hopefully everyone's found a pen. Here's what I'd like you to do. Again, maybe you've done this and you, this is a way to seal a commitment this morning to, to, to renew and walk in this newness of life. If you've crossed this Dunbridge, if you've not 
that's fine. I respect your place in the journey. That, that's okay. You're being honest. But if you have crossed that Dunn Bridge and trusted Christ as Lord and what he's done, raise your, raise your card. Go ahead, get it up there. Now, keep it up there. Now, I want you to look around. If there's a moment you're tempted not to trust in the power of the resurrected Christ, remember this moment. Look at all these changed lives. And the only reason we can hold up this this morning and stand in this truth and sing these songs is because our Lord is risen. He's conquered death, hell, Satan, all the demonic realm. And my friends, we have hope forever. Amen.